for me, it's kind of like a drug, right? That need for positive change everywhere I go. And then also a piece of that where, you know, once you've created the most positive change that you can, a readiness to jump to that next growth curve and say, what, you know, what is the next kind of big transformational change I can make in my life and in my work? I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And I'm Shannon Lucas. We're the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. This is our podcast, Move Move Fast, fast, Break Shit, Burn Out, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. In this season of the podcast, we're diving deep into the skills that make Catalyst successful. And we are delighted to have Dr. Tasha Yurick with us today to talk about those skills that she's lived and that she sees in others. Tasha is an organizational psychologist, researcher, and a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books. She's recognized as the world's leading self-awareness coach and communication expert, and she pairs her scientific background with more than 20 years of coaching senior executives. She's spoken live to hundreds of thousands of people, and her most recent TEDx talk, which I love, so check it out, has more than 9 million views. Thank you so much for being here today with us, Tasha. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We'd love to start by hearing how you personally relate to the concept of Catalyst. Well, first of all, I want to thank you both for introducing this into the world, because I think like a lot of people who identify with uh, the Catalyst term, I had never really found something that described sort of the contradictory aspects of myself that I never really totally understood until I saw it laid out on the page in your book. And I think the thing that that most resonated with me was when you guys talked about a deep-rooted need to create positive change. And in some ways, that's that's really my mission statement as a human. And I, as an organizational psychologist, I'm really lucky to get to do that with individuals and with companies. And, you know, hopefully those create positive chains of transformation in communities and the world. And I think, you know, it's interesting because not only is that how I'm wired and probably everybody who's listening is wired, is I think it, it really, with the right approach, can be our competitive differentiator. Right. And so I think about before I started my my firm and I became an author and a speaker and a consultant in about 2011, I spent many years in the Fortune 500 world. And I basically was brought in to come in, build things, get people on board, create massive change, and then sort of move on to the next thing. And so for me, it's kind of like a drug, right? That need for positive change everywhere I go. And then also a piece of that where you know, once you've created the most positive change that you can, a readiness to jump to that next growth curve and say, what, you know, what is the next kind of big transformational change I can make in my life and in my work? That, there's so many questions I have off that one last part. So I'm short circuiting a little bit. What advice do you have for folks, Tasha, in recognizing when you're ready to jump? and having the courage to make that jump? Hmm. Great questions. I think about my decision process of leaving what, what at the time was, you know, my cushy fortune 500 dream job to start my own business. And, you know, I, I sort of started to say it out loud to a couple of my friends and, and I got very quick answers of like, that's insane. Don't do that. Why would you do that? You, you've got a you've got a cushy job. You'll be set for life. But 
every day that I came home, this was after about two and a half years, I just felt like I wasn't as excited about what I was doing anymore. And and nothing had changed, right? I had changed. I I was sort of without even noticing, making a calculation of, I think I've reached sort of the top end of the impact that I'm able to make here as a change agent. And my husband, actually, I was talking to him about it one night and he said, you know, I remember you and I having the same conversation about two and a half years into your last Fortune 500 job. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's a common amount of time. You know, certainly a lot of uh, career coaches would tell us we need to stay at jobs longer than that. But at least for me, it was more days than not that I wasn't feeling that same you know, for lack of a better word, high <laughs> off of the impact that I was making. And, and I think that's a different calculation for everyone, but that was that was sort of how I went about doing it. And, and finally, I just ended up jumping and feeling confident in my assessment of the situation and feeling confident in my skills and knowing that it might not work out, but really being prepared for the worst case scenario and excited about the best case scenario. So first, yes, two to three years for really self-aware catalysts, which, you know, we're talking to the person who literally wrote the book on that is exactly what we hear time and again is Interesting. That, that they, they come in and they're able to, you know, kind of get, get their hands around what it is that they were brought in to do or what they see as their vision to do. And then they start it. And then once you kind of get to that place where you're at maintenance, they're not the person anymore. And so either there's a place within the organization or it's time to move on. But that takes quite a bit of self-awareness and courage to be able to own that. And to be able to say, this doesn't mean there's something wrong with me, Yes. right? Because that was what I keep kept getting from people is, you know, not everyone understands that life cycle and, you know, everybody's different. But to have, to your point, that, that, confidence in your self-knowledge to know that, you know, it is time to move on to your next great thing. I, I think that's the key. Agreed. Agreed. I'll turn this to the next question, but I am selfishly hoping that some of the, you know, how do we get that confidence? You know, how do I build that will come out, but what have you found are one to two essential skills that have made you successful as a catalyst? And we love the stories that helped us get there, whether they're failures, mm -hmm. successes, you know, bring us into the details as much as you can. So I think uh, it's to your point you just made, the, the best way that I've learned to gain confidence as a catalyst is to gain buy-in. And I had a wonderful boss, you know, probably 15 years ago now, who was, was coaching me and in, in creating positive change in our organization. And he said something to me that I, I come back to almost every day. And he said, people support what they help create. People support what they help create. And I, I found, you know, and it was a learning process for me because I, 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 I think a lot of catalysts like to just go out the gate and say, if nobody's with me, I'm going to go on my own. <laughs> yeah. But I realized that um, the way you really can make transformative change is to, is to take the time, you know, to, to go slow, to go fast in a sense of taking a little bit of time up front, getting your guiding coalition together, and then all sort of attacking the change. And there was nowhere that I learned that more than uh, when I worked at a hospital. Um, I was hired by the CEO of, of one of the biggest hospitals in Denver that's a part of a, a huge you know, national system. And he said, I know we need an organizational development person 
but I don't even really know exactly what you do, <laughs> which was talk about needing to get buy-in, right? If, if, if my boss, the CEO was a little fuzzy on, on what it is I was going to do, I knew that, that I needed to spend probably a good year building relationships and educating people about, you know, how I could help them. That was really the way I looked at it is I'm, I'm Tasha, I'm here to help, but I couldn't help them unless they understood, you know, what it was that I could bring to the table. And so, you know, this was about a two and a half year, <laughs> my magic number, two and a half year journey where um, we built a, an entire leadership development, uh, corporate university, um, strategic planning, uh, succession planning programs in this organization, and we did it together. And I was so proud when I left that we were number one in employee engagement in our market. We were, um, our time to fill for leadership positions went from literally years to days. Um, our voluntary nursing turnover dropped, I think, 63%, which we estimated saved us about $8 million. And all of these things were things that we did together. And so I think the beauty of being a catalyst is to help other people be catalysts as well. Um, and so I think that buy-in is, is something that I've just learned over time that's so huge. I think the second skill that really sticks out for me, <laughs> this, this might be so somewhat unexpected, is figuring out, figuring it out as you go. And what I mean by that is when we are trying to, you know, move fast and break things, there's sort of the sense that we have to have this perfectly designed plan of everything that's going to go happen, everything that's going to happen, everything that can go wrong, what we're going to do, you know, scenario planning. And I think that's certainly true to some extent, but a lot of the work I do as a catalyst, I feel like is, it, you know, it's, it's, it's all new for me. Anytime I'm doing something, I, I haven't necessarily done something like that before. And one example, just really quickly, was um, kind of this idea of figuring it out and not forcing yourself to have a complete fully baked plan. I was um, in 2017 invited by my mentor, uh, Marshall Goldsmith. Many of you probably know Marshall's name. He wrote, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, number one leadership thinker in the world. And he, what he wanted to do back then was bring together 100 people that he was going to teach everything he knew for free under one condition. And that condition was that each of us someday would make a group like that of our own. And, you know, I was one of the youngest members. I had total imposter syndrome of like, why on earth am I here with all of these like famous world leaders and athletes and artists and, you know, business leaders. But basically when COVID, so I was part of that group. I still am. It's like my family. But during COVID, I was, I was starting to notice how much I was getting pulled down in fear and negativity. And it didn't help that we were all sort of trapped in wherever we lived, which for me was a, a not super large loft in downtown Denver with my, my husband and my wonderful five pound rescue dog. But I had this idea one day of like, you know, nobody started, nobody in Marshall's group has started their own pay it forward project, but I think I want to do that. And so I called Marshall and he's like, that's great. What's your plan? I said, I don't know. <laughs> All I know is I'm going to start this program. He said, great. So what I did is I just took one step at a time. I said, the first thing I need to do is, you know, figure out what the application process is. And the second thing I need to do is publicize it. And the third thing I need to do is figure out who I'm going to select. Right. So then I had this group of people. I didn't know what we were going to do together. But going back to that buy-in question, I thought we might as well just design this program together. 
And so we're now, you know, 20 people strong. I think we've got 13 or 14 countries represented, people doing amazing things in the area of human-centered leadership. And it's become a pretty robust program. But I think the reason that it has become so powerful is that I didn't have a preconceived notion about what it would be. I just, I sort of knew the direction I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to start this. I knew I wanted to find a bunch of other catalysts and world changers um, and then kind of let it evolve. So, so those would be kind of my two, my two lessons with probably overly verbose stories, but hopefully to illustrate the point. <laughs> Every word necessary, not at all verbose. A question I have starting with you know the first story at the hospital in the system in the system in buy-in is you said one of the first things you had to do is educate people mm -hmm. right on what you could bring to the table which is not a dissimilar thing that i'm hearing you needed to do with the tasha 10 right it wasn't you educating but like starting something without everyone having an articulation of the value how do you learn to articulate your value, especially mm. knowing what a catalyst is like, this can be fuzzy to people sometimes. So my two cents on that is the best way to communicate your value is to do a really, really good job of listening and not to try to communicate your value until you really understand the perspective of that person. Um, I'll give you an example. When I'm speaking to organizations, you know, I, I get to work with so many different industries and companies. And, you know, a lot of times I'm coming in going like, wait, what is it that you guys do again? <laughs> and so the, the kind of approach that I take is, you know, we spend one entire meeting of me just asking them questions about the who are the people in the room and what are they experiencing? What are their pain points? What are their kind of visceral needs and wants? Um, you know, what what's interesting to them? What's not as interesting to them? And then and only then do I sit down and write the speech, right? And so I think it's kind of a similar thing where when I was at the hospital, I think, I mean, I don't, I have a kind of a terrible memory, but I think this is true. I might have spent like up to six months just going to meetings and sitting down with people and talking to them and learning what they were going through. I got to round, you know, on our hospital floors. I got to, um, you know, be in like, I got to see open heart surgery so I could understand what our surgical process was. And, and we don't always have that kind of time. And I think I was very lucky in that sense, but I think we can all sort of use that as a guidepost of, you know, have I listened enough that I feel like I can start kind of sharing the value, you know, of what we can do together. So that, that would be my lesson, I think. I love that. If you haven't done enough listening, you shouldn't be talking about the value you bring yet. That's really powerful. Yeah. What do you find is the biggest challenge that you're facing these days as a catalyst leader? Well, there were, there's so many things competing for the biggest challenge, of course, because life has gotten complicated. I, I think the biggest thing for me, um, that I've noticed, you know, in the last couple of years is competing for people's attention. So, you know, for example, when I, when I have a, a coaching client that I, I'm just starting to work with, there's so much energy and so much motivation and so much fire, right? And then we sort of get into the process and even compared to five years ago, I'm noticing that people are just so overextended they're exhausted, they're burnt out, they have the best of intentions, and sometimes they just can't get through everything every day. Um, 
and at first I thought like, well, maybe I've just, you know, chosen some interesting clients lately, but, but this is happening enough, you know, both in my consulting and just kind of in the other areas that I work that I think it's something we all need to think about is, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a sense, the tools that worked for us yesterday are not necessarily going to be the tools that work for us today or tomorrow. And maybe there are new different ways to capture people's attention when they're so overloaded already. And that's something that I'm kind of putting on myself to say, can I question my assumptions? Can I, can I try other ways of, um, you know, being supportive and being helpful in a way that, you know, is, is sort of maximally helpful for my clients given what they're going through. So yeah, that, that would be the biggest thing. I'm curious if you guys are seeing that as well. We see that in a lot of different ways, uh, not only in community spaces that we're in, in terms of, you know, being able to to have engagement in those spaces and how just fractured people's time and attention is, uh, especially as they get back into the world with greater regularity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and with leaders, literally texting with a leader this morning, you know, doing a workshop, we have the date, we're all set up have a piece that we want to get out. This person has the best intentions to do it, but it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, thank you. Yes. I'm. It's just so busy, right? I know how high a priority this is, but it's just so busy. Um, anything that you've been playing with that you're finding is working, like you said, you know, you just, you get in and you start experimenting or are you at the very front end of this? I think both to some extent, right? Because I'm I'm a forever student. So even if I find things that work, I'm always trying to push myself to to go farther. But I'll, one example, I'm coaching a CEO right now who you know is is in the same boat as we all are, right? And and is trying to run and grow a company. And what we discovered was one way for him to keep focused on this process was for me to send him a text every Friday to ask a couple of key questions, you know, like, how did you do this week with X, Y, Z? And he said, what's, what's helpful about that is like, I might not be checking my email, but I'm definitely going to see the text come in. And if we have, you know, a very simple process, he gives me a rating between one and five, right? It literally takes him two seconds but that helps him stay focused on, you know, a daily and weekly basis on what we're working on kind of between our meetings. So I think it's, it's breaking things up into as bite size of a piece as possible, right? Making it easy to um, receive and respond and then also maybe customizing it to the person because what's easy for one of my CEOs is maybe going to feel hard for another one of my CEOs. So there's, there is an element, I think really to everything in life, but especially here of just trial and error. And if it doesn't work, try something else. I think there's such a beautiful lesson for all catalysts in, in what you're bringing forward, right? Because one of the jobs as catalysts is to be helping bring people's attention to places that require or need change and can be mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. But when folks are so overwhelmed with what's already happening, when there's so much noise, it can be hard. And a lot of times a catalyst can take it personally or they can get quickly frustrated. Like I've said it once or twice, why didn't everybody get it? And I love this advice of, you know, what's the regularity that you're bringing in a message and what's the bite-sized piece as opposed to the seven slide presentation? I, I just love that as a universal well, piece of advice. And I would, I would connect it back to something that you said earlier, which is like the listening to what's important to them. Like as a catalyst, 
you know, if if we're on our own agenda and the thing, even if we're like paying attention to their energy and, you know, trying to get those moments, if we're not connecting that thing to something that is literally in their top five list, mm. that's one of my things is like my priority list. If, if you're number five, the amount of attention that you're getting, even if it's mission critical, is significantly less than number one or number two. And so if we help Catalyst go back to that listening that you were talking about and connecting it to their one or two, you are, I would imagine, more likely to cut through some of the noise. And I, I love, I love this conversation because something really stuck out for me, uh, for me from both of those comments, which is kind of this element of not taking it personally. Right. And uh, I, my friend Laura Gassner Odding, um, I, I subscribe to her newsletter. I think everyone should. It's so wonderful. But in last week's edition, she was talking about um, the fact that most problems are really puzzles. Right. So, and I think that's such a powerful shift in the way we think about the challenges that we face every day. It's not a problem, right? It's a puzzle. I've got to figure out, okay, if, if I can't, if I can't get my CEO to engage with me in this coaching process in the way that, you know, I I've always done, that's right. I've got to figure out a way that's going to work and I'm not going to take it personally. Right. right. I'm going to see it as a, as a puzzle that I want to put together. Which and that changes the whole emotional experience of it, it too, as a catalyst. As it's not like, oh, poor me, I'm trying to change the world. Nobody wants to change the world. <laughs> it's put it's putting the onus on ourselves. That's right. And then, it, you know, connecting it back to our own self-awareness too, like, you know, our ability to self-regulate so we can get back to that moment because we don't have our oxygen masks on. And to your point, Tasha, like we're all feeling it. It's not like the catalysts aren't feeling it too, but we talk about like a burnt out catalyst creates no change at all for exactly all these reasons. If we're in our reactive state, we're going to be like, that's stupid CEO. I'm a really good coach. What's wrong with them? How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> Love it. Well Love said. it. All right. I get the joy. Am I, am I, can I, can I take over Tracy? I'm super yes. The fun stuff. All right. One thing that you do to get ready for a big meeting. So I'm going to sound like a broken record. I sit down, I think about the key players, what they need, and what my goals are in the context of those things. Yes. Amen. And we can't hear it enough, right? Because as catalysts, we come in with a bold charging. You, here's the thing. We need you to take away. Love it. Uh, okay. So we're talking about recharging. What's a favorite favorite way for you to spend a free day? So I have two answers. One answer is right now. And one answer is in general, because they're very different. Right Ooh. now, I'm uh, under the gun to finish my third book. So I'm going to be a good author and say my favorite way to spend a free day is writing. <laughs> and I hope my editor's listening. Otherwise, in general, uh, I, I love Broadway shows. I love musicals and plays. And I, I come from a background of theater uh, originally. And so that is just about the best way I could think of to spend a free day. Awesome. Uh, favorite famous catalyst, alive or dead, and why? So I think this is definitely a conventional choice, but at the same time, a somewhat underappreciated figure. Um, and that's Abraham Lincoln. If everybody listening has not read Doris Kern Goodwin's book, Team of Rivals, I would drop everything you're doing and go get this book. Because in some sense, you know, Lincoln's life and leadership is a roadmap of how to be a catalyst. And there's a lot of really surprising aspects of the way he, he operated 
that we can all learn from. You know, one example just that kind of sticks out is his very keen sense of timing. He had this almost preternatural way of reading the sentiment of the country and like what they were ready for and what they weren't ready for. And a lot of his critics said that he moved too slowly when, you know, Doris Kearns Goodwin assessment, and I agree, is that he he just had such a keen sense that nobody else really had about when was the right time for things, right? When is the right time for that transformative change? And so I think, you know, there's a lot of examples, but I, I think he's, you know, sort of an oft exalted figure. But mm-hmm. when you really get into the nitty gritty of exactly what he did, um, it's a whole new playing field in terms of what we can learn from him. I'm definitely going to read that. You definitely piqued my curiosity. And the thing that I love is just this thread that you have throughout this conversation about the really being present and being able to listen to where other people are is the key to unlocking change. As you know, it's interesting. It, it, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say it took this conversation for me to figure out that thread. So I have to thank you guys. Awesome. But I mean, I love it even like, you know, I can imagine in the day, like the impetus and I'm sure so many people feel that now with our political you know, situation or climate change or all the things, the imperative to act fast just feels so strong, right? And we can get so frustrated about how long it can take. And yet there are humans that we're dealing with that have to be able to receive and lean in. So thank you. Thank you. All right, aside from reading the book, uh, and we'd love to get the name of the newsletter to put in the show notes as well. What's your call to action for our listeners? My call to action uh, is, you know, sometimes people say, well, how can we learn more about you? But going back into the theme of this conversation, it's not really about me. It's about everybody who's listening. And so the the resource that I always try to make available, um, just because it's been super popular over the last five years, is... Um, it's the insight quiz. And this came out um, kind of as a, you know, like a, just a fun little assessment that we put out when my book insight came out, but it's a five minute self-awareness quiz. And basically what you do is you fill out 14 items about how you see yourself. You, the system will send uh, an assessment to someone who knows you well, they fill out those 14 items about how they see you. And then you get kind of a high level picture of your self-awareness. And then a couple of things you can do if you you know want to improve in those areas. And it's a, it's a subset. It's kind of like the party trick version of our 70 plus, you know, item uh, validated multiple rater assessment of self-awareness, but it's also a really nice place to just say, where do I start? You know, if, if we're trying to be self-aware both internally and then how other people see us, we've got to know where we stand. Um, and so that's, that's what I would, I would point people to. And if I know it's going to be in the show notes, but it's at www.insight-quiz.com. Awesome. And I, my brain starts to go to all the couples who are sending it to their partners right now. Oh, yes. That's a very popular thing to do. And also sometimes people say, I didn't like the answers the first person gave me. So I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Yes. Um, Thank you for that. It's been so lovely. Tasha, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation. You guys are doing great work back at you. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. Sure to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shift for Now. And if you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way. Thanks again.